if there were no Christmas, one thing, some of us would have better bank accounts today, wouldn't we? <laughs> because we bought all those gifts. We wouldn't have these beautiful carols. Wouldn't have all the things that have happened in the, in the past week. And really, the darkness of wintertime would be rather gloomy, wouldn't it? Or not this marvelous celebration that we have this time of year. If there were no Christmas, we would not be coming to the end of 2015 and getting ready for the year 2016. We mark our years by A.D. and B.C. Uh, originally in the Roman Empire, the Diocletian calendar was that which prevailed, but a man named Dionysus Exegus in the 6th century trying to mark the dates of Easter, felt that to date the, the times of Easter by the Diocletian calendar was honoring a man who had actually persecuted Christians. And so we should have some other calendar. And so we tried to calculate back to the time when Jesus was born and uh, missed it by a few years, but still started a, a new calendar dating A.D. and B.C., Anno Domini, the year of the Lord, sometimes trying to the year of our Lord, but it really is the year of the Lord, and B.C. Uh, before Christ. Think about that. Had it not been for the event in Bethlehem, we would not have A.D. and B.C. What year would it be if we did not have Christmas? <laughs> well, if we follow the Jewish calendar, it would be uh, 5,761. Now, that's true because... The Sanhedrin one time met and began to spend a great amount of time debating when were Adam and Eve created? And they finally decided on a particular date. By the way, December 25th just about fits the date they picked. And they began to calculate the years, and so they came up with the Jewish calendar. Now, if you want to determine the... Uh, the years of the Jewish calendar, I believe you add 3,760 years if it is before Rosh Hashanah, 3,761 if it's after Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah usually happens in the middle of September, Rosh meaning head, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, which is the new year for the Jews. So if we were following the Jewish calendar, because we don't have AD and BC, be 5,000, what is it, 761, I believe, something like that. And you know the Diocletian calendar, if we were still following the Diocletian calendar, it would be 1830. Isn't that something? But it's the end of 2015 and the beginning of 2016 because we have Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. So that's one thing, really a rather trivial one, isn't it? One thing that would be different if we did not have Christmas and our bank accounts would be better and some of us would not be so tired <laughs> this morning as a result of all we've done. Of course, the neighborhood would have missed a great blessing of our caroling, too. A lot of things just are different from what they would be if there were no Christmas. There's a dark side to it. Remember when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Magi from the east following a star came seeking this new king. And they 
thought, well, if he is the king of the Jews, he must be born in Jerusalem, the capital. And so they went and they met with Herod, who was the king. And finally, through the scholars, Herod said, well, he should be born in Bethlehem. And he said to the Magi, go and find this Christ child, and when you find him, come back and tell me that I might go and worship him. But in the night, the Magi were warned, don't go back to Herod because what he plans for this child is harm. And so they went back by another way. Herod didn't realize he had been deceived. And to make sure, make sure this child did not live, every boy two years of age and under, not only in Bethlehem, but in the environment, slaughtered. The devil was doing all he could to destroy. smuggling food into a village where there were many Christians. And so far they had been successful, but finally ISIS came into the village, and no longer could they smuggle in food, but not only that. Knowing that this is a village in which lived many Christians, the ISIS warriors went house to house to every Christian home, and they took the children and said, Will you deny Jesus? Not a single child in any home denied Jesus, and in every home, every child was decapitated. When I heard of that, I thought of what the children in Bethlehem must have experienced when Herod and his armies 
slaughtered the infants. There is a dark side to Christmas. And all over the world, those who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, the devil who seeks to come and kill and destroy, is doing all that he can to kill everyone who carries the light of the world, the spirit of Jesus within him. There is a dark side that would not be there were it not for Christmas. Were it not for Christmas, our prayer life would be different. Remember that Jesus spoke Aramaic, and every time in the New Testament you read a saying of Jesus, what you are reading in your Bible is an English translation of the Greek translation of Jesus' Aramaic. In Matthew chapter 6, as he records the model prayer, remember Jesus began to speak about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know, don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the corner and make a big to-do when they pray so everybody will notice what great prayers they are and laud their devoutness. He said, don't just recite meaningless phrases over and over again. But he said, pray like this. And here's Matthew's interpretation. Pater, ha in tois huranois, hagiaste, ta anamasu, geneste, elete, su, and on and on it goes. <laughs> now that's Greek. If we had the Aramaic, it would begin Abba, not Pater. For Abba is the Aramaic word for Father. You know, some years ago, and I don't know who put out this stupid tale, that Abba means Daddy. Abba does not mean Daddy. Abba just means Father, as does Father mean in English. And pater mean in Greek and Latin. And pater mean in French. <laughs> it just means father. But Jesus taught us to pray to God as father. If you read throughout the Old Testament, you find some isolated times in which God is referred to as Father, but almost every time it's because God is making a point to Israel, look what I have done for you and look at your lack of gratitude. I've treated you as a father treats a son. But when we study the prayers... So many of them were written prayers, much as in Roman Catholicism today, which many... There's nothing wrong with written prayers if you pray them from the heart. There's a difference between saying a prayer and praying a prayer. You are old enough, remember that in 1967, Dionne Warwick recorded the song, I Say a Little Prayer for You. <laughs> and this supposedly was a, a woman who was praying for her sweetheart, who was in the army in Vietnam. I say a little prayer for you. There's a difference between saying a prayer and praying. 
The model prayer in Matthew 6, I wonder how many times we have just said a prayer. We've recited words. But oh, when prayed from the heart to our Father, our Father who heart in heaven, hallowed or reverenced be thy name. It is my heart that your kingdom come and your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Interesting, the Greek doesn't say will become, but will be, not will done, but says will be in earth, will be in will be as in heaven in earth, the Greek says. Exist here. Not just done, but exist. Isn't that a staggering thought? Just permeate culture. Give us today's bread. The Greek says, give us our daily bread today. Give us today's bread today. I don't need to store it up for tomorrow. I trust you to provide every day, day by day, as the day goes. And then sometimes in our English versions we read, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Sometimes in some of your Bibles you read, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The Greek word there literally means debt. But it is sometimes used also for some kind of a transgression or an affront. But the point being, if we expect God to forgive us, then we must be willing to forgive. Paul wrote to the Romans, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Anytime you are angry and you decide to wreak vengeance on someone, you know what you're doing? You're taking the place of God. God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Forgive us the way we forgive. And then lead us not into temptation. The Greek word there has the idea of trial, but deliver us. From evil, How many of us don't want to be extricated from all the exigencies of life that we're suffering right now? Oh, God, pluck us out. And yet he says, I need to refine you. So I'm going to lead you through some. Now, here's an interesting thing. The next verses, the next portion, the last part of verse 13 that you find in your Bible in Matthew is really not in the earliest texts. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And you find that in different texts, later texts occurring in different ways. Some it's a trinity. For thine the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so on. it seems that that was added later by the church to make this prayer something that could be used in a liturgical way. If you read a Roman Catholic Bible, you will notice it doesn't have that verse. It's more accurate. I think the NLT and uh, I believe the NIV lack that last part of verse 13 because it is not in the original text. But the point this, Jesus taught us to pray to God as our Father. And were there no Christmas, we would still be praying to a distant God, a God 
with whom we do not relate as Father. Father, <laughs> forgive us. Our prayer life would be different also because as Paul wrote in Romans, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, I've heard some charismatics say that's talking about tongues. That's not talking about tongues. The Greek word is alaleo, something that cannot be uttered. And so the Holy Spirit, and this is a mystery to us because we don't really understand or even know when it's happening. But because Jesus Christ came and gave us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And then later on in that same section, the Apostle Paul wrote, and it is Christ who also always makes intercession for us. That brings to mind the book of Hebrews, does it not? We have great, do not have a great high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us boldly come to the throne of grace to find timely help. Our prayers would be so different if we did not have that great high priest Jesus through whom our prayers reached the throne of heaven. And need I mention that throughout the New Testament, all prayers are always prayed to God the Father. You do not find a prayer prayed to Jesus. Jesus, after his ascension, is only addressed these times. Number one, when Stephen was being stoned to death, he looked up and in a vision saw Christ Jesus. And there was one encounter, one speaking. Another time was when Saul of Tarsus was seeking out Christians to kill them, doing it with a good heart. He thought he was doing the will of God, and Jesus appeared with him in a vision. And he spoke to him there, and also Ananias, to whom Christ appeared in a vision as well. John, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, the Lord appeared to him as a vision, and there he spoke. Naturally, one speaks to a vision. The only other time that one could possibly be speaking to Jesus after Pentecost was when Paul wrote to Timothy and said, I thank the Lord for putting me into ministry. And he no doubt was reflecting back to that vision that he had on the road to Damascus. Is it wrong to pray to Jesus? I would not dare say that, but I say you have no biblical example of it after the ascension. Prayers are always to God the Father at the leading of the Holy Spirit prayed through Jesus Christ to the Father. That's the biblical pattern. But if we're not for Christmas, that wouldn't be true. We wouldn't even understand the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would we? had it not been for Christmas. In Genesis chapter 3, we read that Adam and Eve, after they committed the sin and suddenly realized they were naked and embarrassed and they heard the voice of God in the garden and they hid themselves from God. 
And then when God said, why did you hide yourself? <laughs> well, we're naked. Well, who told you you're naked? They hid from God. Because of Christmas, we don't need to hide. We don't need to hide. When I was 10 years old, the Lord began to bring conviction in my heart that I needed to respond to the invitation to accept Jesus. And so on Boy Scout Sunday in February, <laughs> I was still a Cub Scout at that time, my friend Jimmy Foshi and I came down the aisle, stood before the congregation and confessed our faith in Jesus. Immediately we were taken to the baptistry and immersed into Christ. And I think I've mentioned this to you before. I can still remember what that water was like. It was almost as if I'd stepped into a tub full of Alka-Seltzer. It was bubbling about me something wonderful. I believe God was doing something on that day. I said to my friend Jimmy, wasn't that strange water? I didn't notice anything he said. <laughs> but for me, it was so real. And then I would hear the preacher, the first Sunday to take communion, I remember. Communion I couldn't take, even after I'd been baptized. Communion was such a sacred and holy thing. It took me two weeks to get to the point where I could take the Lord's Supper. And I would hear preaching about the second coming. And even though I'd been baptized into Christ... The grace of God had yet not come upon me in full awareness. And I'd hear preaching about the second coming of Jesus, and I'd say, Oh, Lord, do come, but not today. I'm not quite ready. I was aware of maybe an attitude that wasn't right or some thoughts I had that weren't right, maybe a word I'd spoken. Oh, God, don't come today. I'm not ready. But over the years, the Lord made me aware of his beautiful and wonderful grace. Today, I am far from a perfect man. But I'm ready. <laughs> Wish it were today. I'm ready. I'm ready. But if there were no Christmas, I would not be ready. I would be wondering, what will it be like when I stand before the judgment seat of God? I have no fear of that now. I'm ready because of Christmas. You know, we'd really be hopeless, wouldn't we? Matter of fact, I think everybody in this room would be double hopeless because we're all Gentiles. <laughs> Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus had the encounter with a woman at the well and she was asking, should we worship here? Should we worship there? How should we do it? And Jesus said, we know whom we worship and how because salvation is from the Jews. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Now, interesting in the Ephesian epistle, the original autograph evidently did not say to the Ephesians. It was really written as a circular letter to the church of the Lacanian Valley. Sometime later, somebody added to the Ephesians. But be that as it may, 
in that letter writing to the Gentile churches, Paul said, you were without hope in the world. You had nothing to do with the covenant, speaking to the Gentiles, but now you do. You do because the cross of Jesus has made all one in him. Because we're Gentiles, we would have been doubly hopeless. <laughs> but now we're full of hope. And it would not be possible except for Christmas. We had our family gathering, the crowd at our house, Christmas Eve, Thursday. Friday was a quiet time with Mark and me and Greg came over after a while. Jimmy dropped his laundry by, got that started. I was way behind in work. I've, so much has happened recently, I was way behind. And so early Friday morning, Christmas Day, I hit the desk and stayed there till 12 or 1. I don't remember the exact time, but sometime in the afternoon, I left the desk told Mark I was going to take a drive, told him I was going to the cemetery. It's a very emotional time. You know, since Barb died, it's not that I feel alone, but I feel so lonely. It was such that day. I first drove over to 58th and Rockford, where the church building in which my children had grown up first came to Tulsa in 1959. Bel Air Christian Church was brand new, had been meeting at home school. My first Sunday there, we dedicated what was a fellowship hall and then became the building. And over the years, involved in building the beautiful chapel, we had a rock garden with a waterfall where you could sit and meditate and pray. All that's changed now. But I went to that building and walked around and lived in memory. Then I went to 74 East 53rd Street, where we'd lived for 24 years, where our children had all grown up. By the way, Gordon... The last year we lived there, cut down the birch tree, and of course, in my instructions, he didn't do this as a vandal, <laughs> and then planted two gorgeous, beautiful red October glory maples, and they were kind of saplings. Well, as I went by Friday and looked at them, hugely beautiful, <laughs> and I thought for a while and relived those memories. I went to Woodward Park, as always I had my clarinet with me and got on a bench far away from anyone and for an hour just played whatever came out of my heart. And then I went to the cemetery. Stood by the grave. I walked around the grave. And then, surprisingly, I began to sing. 
softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh sinner, come home. I don't know how many times over the years I've sung that song at invitation time. And sinners have come forward and I've led them into good confession and immediately taken them to the baptistry and immersed them into Christ. But Friday, that song meant something different to me. I thought of Stephen and Jesus standing up and looking over the portals of heaven, saying, come home. And whether that song is sung to invite a sinner to salvation or a saint to heaven, that song can only be sung because there is a Christmas. Praise be his name.